I try and prioritize my happiness a lot, a lot more than, you know, earning like 50 bucks on the next gig or something like that. So I've actually like turned down some stuff sometimes because I know it won't make me happy. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. What's up? I am so glad you're tuned in today to the Female Entrepreneur Musician, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. My name is Bree Noble, and I realized that I'm constantly trying to get you guys to connect with the artists we have on this show on social media, but I never talk about connecting with me, and I'd love to have you guys connect with me on social media. So today, I want to encourage you to connect with me on Instagram at Bree.Noble, B-R-E-E dot N-O-B-L-E. My goal there is to share what is important to musicians in their musician life, whether it's, you know, keeping your voice in great shape, whether it's knowing how to get gigs, whether it's figuring out, um, you know, whether you want to pursue being in a band or being a solo artist, you know, whether it's maintaining that music life balance that we all try to maintain and that tightrope that we walk, making sure that we have time for our families, that we have time for our own self-care, that we set goals that allow us to achieve all the things that we want to achieve without feeling overwhelmed. That's kind of the place I'm trying to create there on Instagram. So I'd love for you to come connect with me at Brie.Noble. All right. So now let's get to my interview for the day. Uh, I was really excited when I got into contact with this artist because I realized, although this is the female entrepreneur musician, I had not really talked to many instrumentalists. I've had a few, but I mostly focus on singer songwriters. And not only have I not focused on instrumentalists, but I have never had a female brass artist on here before. So when Kate Amrine contacted me, I thought, yep, this is somebody I need to have on the show. I need to make sure that I expose all aspects of a musician life and make sure that everybody is represented. But you singer songwriters, don't worry, you will not be left out on this episode because we talk a lot about crowdfunding. And I think that you'll really learn a lot from what she gleaned during her successful crowdfunding campaign that she just did for her new album. So here is some information about my guest, Kate Amrine. Kate Amrine is a passionate young trumpet player, balancing a career, developing new repertoire and freelancing with many different groups in the New York City area. She recently released her debut album, As I Am, featuring new music for trumpet by women composers. Kate is also the co-head of the Brass Chicks blog, where she writes on many topics and interviews prominent female brass players. Here is my interview with Kate Amrine. So that's a little bit about Kate Amrine. So Kate, is there anything about you that's a little bit quirky, unique, something that's not mentioned in your bio that you think our listeners should know? Sure. Um, Well, I have one helpful one and one fun one. So the helpful thing um, 
I am sort of a little obsessive about my schedule. I really love routine and doing the same thing every morning. Of course, you know, I'm like flexible on gigs and when, you know, my students reschedule, things like that. Um, but I just really like planning my day so I can be as productive as possible. And then the fun one, I love donuts. <laughs> it's just like my favorite thing. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I recently got a, uh, a coffee cup that looks like a donut. It's <gasps> oh awesome. My. Yes. That sounds amazing. The perfect way to drink coffee. <laughs> and uh, I love that you're so organized and stuff. That's kind of part of my jam. So mm-hmm. that's awesome to hear. So tell our listeners how you got started in music. Sure. Well, I'm a trumpet player. I, you know, I always grew up listening to music. My parents would always play jazz and salsa in the car and everything like that. And I started playing in fourth grade. And eventually I joined, you know, like youth orchestra and a jazz band um, outside of school. I was always playing in school because I was fortunate to have a really great music program in Maryland where I grew up. Um, but then I was also a part of a jazz band associated with Blues Alley, the jazz club in D.C. Mm. And then when I was older, I was involved in like a couple of groups at local colleges, like after school when I was in high school. Um, so it's just sort of always been like a steady progression to doing more and more. So I'm curious, did you, like, were you drawn to playing the trumpet or did you just kind of get given a trumpet in the beginning and then fell in love with it? I actually really wanted to play clarinet for some reason. Ah. I don't know. Like my, I think my friend in like fourth grade played clarinet or something like that. And then I went to the band teacher and tried to play it in front of her and I totally couldn't make a sound at all. So she just gave me a trumpet mouthpiece and I was like, here you go. This is what you're doing. And I remember being like, huh, Okay. Sure. Yeah. And then I, I figured that I was like, oh, well, I do know another trumpet player here. Like, that'll be fun. And then that person quit. Oh. <laughs> and I was the only one, you know, of course, like many men and I was the only lady. Uh, mm. So. Yeah. Plays in the history. trail. Thanks for yep. doing <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So at this point, so, I mean, maybe give us a little bit of how you got from there to here. And then at this point, do you, are you considered a full-time musician? Are you making all of your income in some way from music? Yeah, I'm definitely a full-time musician. I make my living through performing and teaching um, primarily. When I was younger, I did some like administrative jobs and like working as a musician's assistant and that kind of thing, which was super helpful, learned a lot. Um, but I'm not usually doing admin kind of jobs anymore just because I don't have time. And I'm trying to do a lot more like pushing my career forward. So I need the time (laughs) to Mm. do that. But how I got where I am, I came to New York about seven years ago to do my undergrad at NYU. And then I was there for three years, actually graduated a year early. And then I spent two years freelancing and teaching in the city. And then I applied to Peabody for my master's. And then I would commute down to Baltimore for school. Mm, And yeah, it was, it was something. (laughs) And then I just graduated in May. So. Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, so you're, I mean, you're fresh out of a master's program. That's awesome. And ready to take on the world. It seems like. (laughs) I'm trying. Yeah. (laughs) So we have a lot of uh, listeners here, you know, all different ages, but a lot of them are, you know, they're struggling, they're trying to get their music career going. And, you know, they really appreciate hearing from artists like you that are now doing this full time, maybe a, a story from a time where you were really frustrated. You felt like you were banging 
banging your head against the wall. You just couldn't make it happen and you almost gave up. And what, you know, made you press forward and what did you learn out of that? When I graduated from NYU, um, most of my colleagues and friends were a lot older than me. And so they were a lot further along in their careers than I was a lot more established, like as freelancers in New York City. And because I'd only graduated in three years, I was only studying, you know, formally in that way for several years. My, I was just kind of, I, I remember feeling very frustrated with my career and my playing. And I just really wanted to be doing much better things. And it was rough. <laughs> so I decided to go back to school for my master's and I applied. I don't really remember feeling like giving up, but I just remember it was definitely like a crossroads of like, I need to change something or else I'm just going to keep like treading water and doing things that I don't like doing and not being a happy person, which to me, I think is always the most important. Honestly, I try and prioritize my happiness a lot, a lot more than, you know, earning like 50 bucks on the next gig or something like that. So I've actually like turned down some stuff sometimes because I know it won't make me happy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, back to the story. So I, I just, yeah, I was feeling really frustrated and sort of sad that things weren't happening as I wanted to them to. And I just decided to channel that into learning and getting better and making myself better in school so that when I graduated, I would be in the best possible position for success. Mm. So, you know, on that same line, like, do you have any recommendations or advice for people that are trying to come to a big city like New York? You know, I hear so many musicians like, you know, I just took off with $500 in my pocket, (laughs) you know, came to New York, started waitressing tables and wanted to, you know, be doing music. And, you know, do you have any advice for people that do that? Yeah. um, I actually did a whole Facebook live about this. Um, Mm. I talked about like how I got started freelancing in New York city. Um, so I talk about a lot of those things there, but, um, I think just simply I'd say to try and meet as many people as possible and find your group of colleagues that you like playing with and venues you like to perform at or to attend and just try and see as many groups and be seen in as many situations as possible. At least for me, so much of my work comes from other freelancers and other other people recommending me. So the more people see you and know about you, the better a position you're going to be in. That's so true. I mean, that's where networking and, you know, just getting out there and kind of getting into Mm -hmm. the music scene is so important. Yeah. And more, and I think, I feel like sometimes people don't like the word networking. It's like uncomfortable. Um, I try and think of it as like, you know, you never want to do something you don't want to do. Like you shouldn't force yourself to do something you don't want to do. So I try and go to a lot of people's shows that like, I just genuinely want to go to their show because I think their music is great and I would love to play with them or I have played with them and I want to support them. Um, and so to me, it doesn't seem like something I have to do. It's something that I know I want to do. And you know, if I get a kick out of it, if it helps me um, connect more with this person, then you know, that's, that's great too. That's so true. I mean, it really is just making friends in the music world and expanding your community. Mm-hmm. doesn't Definitely. have to be that like scary networking word. Like for those of us that are, you know, introverts and stuff like networking does sound <laughs> scary. <laughs> you know, actually I am an introvert. Um, I just at, you know, the beginning of the day, like my most natural state, I really don't love talking to people always. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a skill that I've had to cultivate over the years. Yep, for sure. We, I think we all, we all have to. And even if we are extroverts, like there's a lot of uncomfortable situations that we don't necessarily like being in when it comes mm-hmm. to talking to people. Like, you know, the first time I did an interview and stuff like that, 
you know, it doesn't just come naturally. We have to kind of put ourselves out there and move into those new places. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've played in a lot of really cool venues and with a lot of really cool like theaters and stuff like that. What is at least so far the most mind blowing experience that you've had where you felt like, Oh my gosh, pinch me. I can't believe that I'm here doing this. Sure. Um, I think, can I take two actually? Absolutely. <laughs> um, I originally thought of one and then I just realized the way you described it, I want to add one. So I think the first one where I was just like, oh, I can't believe this is really happening to me um, was when I first got called to start subbing on Wicked. Mm. And I was just like, oh, Broadway, like, <laughs> this is it. Because um, that's just been my dream for so long. Like, you know, since I was younger, I've been, I just grew up listening to shows and singing shows with my friends. And so that was a really, really amazing experience. And then, of course, when I actually got to do it, to be sitting there in the pit looking around and I'm like, this is it. Like, this is, you know, Friday night on Broadway. Mm. <laughs> um, so that was really great. And every time I go back in, I'm just like so thankful and so appreciative of the opportunity. And then the next one, I think, is sort of more recently with my album. I have gotten to do a lot of little solo performances, like playing at little music festivals. And so the first one that I did was at the International Women's Brass Conference. And I didn't even think about it at the time, but um, I was thinking I might have been the youngest person performing there. And to me, that was just really cool to be able to present, you know, a 30-minute recital there among so many heroes in the women's brass world. Um, and show my album off. So that is amazing to be one of or the youngest person there. That's a real, I mean, you should really be proud of that for sure. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, on that note about your album, so I know I saw that you did a crowdfunding for that album and you did really well with it. What, you know, what kind of approach did you take to crowdfunding? Did you already have a fan base? You know, what, what things did you feel like worked and what didn't in your crowdfunding experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just read so many articles. Um, I, Recently, um, for the past maybe several months, I've actually been working with a coach on my career and especially social media. So I think if I had done all of that um, with this person many months before, I think my crowdfunding would have been even better, which is interesting. So I wasn't really honestly cultivating a fan base before. I I should have been, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I wasn't. I tried to be um, more active on Facebook and Instagram, but I wasn't really scheduling things. I wasn't doing it on a consistent basis with you know, many things in mind. Um, but what I did do, I just read so many articles, you know, there's so many great things on CD babies, like DIY musician podcasts and their website. And then I also read this really great book, um, by Ariel Hyatt called CrowdStart. Oh yes. I interviewed her for the show when it came out and I recommend it to all my students. Yes. It was amazing. I mean, it's just so great how she outlines it like on a week by week basis of things that you have to do. And it was kind of funny because I actually didn't get that book until like only a month before. So I was already behind and I was like, oh no, like, how am I going to get this together? Yeah, that book was amazing. Um, The other thing that I think really worked for me about the crowdfunding was thinking about the whole like 1000 true fans thing, you know, and just like Mm -hmm. thinking of, so who, who do I really personally know, like close friends, family, students, my former teachers who would really personally care about my album and would want to help me make it possible and is able to make it possible. So for me, like thinking about that personal connection was a lot more valuable and proved to be a lot more valuable than trying to like spam as many people as possible. Absolutely. And I know that when I talk with, with Ariel Hyatt, she said the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're not, it's not trying to get it out to the widest net. It's trying to remember who your real fans are and the people that are going to step up when it's time. Yeah. And then thinking of like the categories of people too, like obviously friends and family are categories, but for me, I have like the whole brass world. I have women musicians. I have young people. I have young freelancers in New York. So like all the groups that you're a part of, and then also like entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs, all of that kind of stuff too. Like who, who can you sort of market it to so that you can get them on board with your project? That was really interesting too. So true. I mean, in anything you belong, you know, for me, it would be like my church or, you know, any clubs that I belong to or something, mm-hmm. you know, my, my kids are in, you know, the, the theater that they're in or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. there's all these different like aspects of your life that you might not have thought of where there are people that want to support you. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I actually did a breakdown. I should probably publish this um, of all of the donors. Um, and I went in and notated who was a friend and who was, um, you know, someone like a teacher or who was a complete stranger. And it was really interesting, the results that I got um, from that as well. That's really cool. Do you have like a general idea of that? I mean, what percentages... It was, it actually seemed, I was definitely surprised by how many random people found out about the campaign, Mm. to be honest, because I, that to me sounded so weird, like random John Smith from Kansas. I was like, hi, like, how do you know me? Um, And then some of these people, like I'm still in touch with today. Like, so I got um, someone who runs a radio station in Seattle and Washington, um, who runs a radio station playing music by women and by women composers. She somehow found out about it and she donated. And then eventually my music got to be on her station. So it was just, yeah, it's crazy how these things all come together. That is really cool. And you know, some of these new people that you're meeting, then they're like a new contact or a new Mm -hmm. relationship, like you said. So that's very cool. I talked to you a bit about this when we first started, but, you know, I haven't really had that many, um, not that many instrumentalists on here. I do have a few students that are instrumentalists and I definitely have not had any brass players on here before. So I'm so glad when we um, met that this, you know, could work out because I thought it would be a great angle. And I'm curious from your experience, is there anything different in the marketing of your music for instrumentalists than say singer songwriters? Have you noticed any kind of a different angle that you take or anything that you do that would be different from a singer songwriter? Oh, interesting. I actually think personally, I'm trying to be more like singer songwriters actually. Um, I, when I was doing my crowdfunding, there were two other people who I knew who were also making, or I guess maybe three, who were making their albums at the same time. One was a pianist, one was a singer-songwriter, and the other was a leader of a jazz, like, Latin group. So it was great because we were all, like, completely different styles, and you could see how, and there, of course, were several months in between, but throughout the whole year, I saw other people doing their projects as well. And I actually tried to copy that singer-songwriter a lot because I thought the things that she was doing were really interesting. I think it's more like not so much the brass world, but more like the new music world that I I think like my album is a part of or that I'm thinking of those things. A lot of the articles that I read about like how to make an album are from New Music Box and, you know, New Music USA and I Care If You Listen, that kind of like those new music specific um, resources. But in terms of making it like singer-songwriters, I think the thing that it's, I guess it's true in the jazz world too. I'm always interested in why people choose to play or sing or perform certain pieces and why, you know, like why that piece specifically, like what is it about that song that means something to you? And I think that's what people really care about. And that doesn't always happen in classical music. 
you know, like this random concerto, like, why should we care? (laughs) And how are like, you know, but really, I mean, so whenever I'm performing recitals, I really try and speak to the audience in a way of like, you know, here's why this piece is important. It's because like the composer was in an insane asylum and wrote it about his like wife that cheated on him. Like that's interesting. <laughs> it's like, it I, I could tell you that the piece is all based on one note and like it has quarter tones in it, but like the story is what's like more interesting. So I try and copy those kind of things, like the meaning of the music, why, why someone should care about it, what, what's like a lot, why the project exists also, like to me, well, I guess we'll probably get to that later. Um, but like, it's not like you picked a bunch of random songs to be on an album. So like why these ones specifically, how do they all add up to be a complete product? Oh, that's so true. And that's a great insight about the stories. Like, you, you know, mm-hmm. sing, it's not just singer-songwriters that can tell the story of their lyrics or why they wrote a song. I mean, instrumentalists have a reason too that they wrote a song in a certain way, or, you know, you can talk about their background, like you said. And I think that's really smart because stories just draw people in like that mm-hmm. is it all be wrapping our marketing around a story for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I know you were going to go into a little of this too, when we, you were just talking about why you chose the songs that you did for your album. And I know that you commissioned a bunch of songs, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, this doesn't happen much in the singer-songwriter world, but mm-hmm. in instrumentalists, like, you can go out to certain composers that you really like or respect and commission songs and ask them to write them. So how does that work, and why did you decide to do it? Yeah, um, well, so yeah, there's about, there's eight pieces on my album, so three of them uh, were already written, and then four of them I had commissioned, or maybe maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> four of them were already written, so I just approached the composers, and I was like, hey, I want to play your piece in my album, and they're like, great, and then um, the other pieces that I added, these were friends from school, other people whose music I really admired, and some of them I'd worked with before, some of them, like, in different contexts, like one of them was a film score composer. So I played a lot on her movies. And so I wanted her to write me a piece um, because I just had always really liked her music. And then some of the others for people I'd worked with in different situations. Um, so I just, yeah, I just asked them and like specifically how it works. I mean, some of the like the bigger people you have, you know, contracts and you pay them a certain amount. And then there's like stipulations of who can play it when and what, how, you know, what happens next and those kind of things. But the people I'd asked were a lot more friends. Um, so it wasn't like that specifically. Um, and I think it's great for them because they're getting exposure for their composition. And also if you're doing it like we just talked about, where you're telling the stories about the composers, then they're also getting exposure that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then one of the things that I did when I was crowdfunding was I interviewed all of the composers. Mm. And so I had like, you know, I think it was I did like a weekly thing where I did two composers a week leading up to it. So it was like I started the month before um, and it's all on my blog somewhere. But um yeah, so I gave them as much chance, you know, to tell their story as well, in addition and, and sort of separate from the piece, too. Like a lot of them talked about like what their next project was and what they were also working on, which was really interesting. And it's super smart because it creates like ready-made content for you to talk about in your crowdfunding because, mm-hmm. you know, we're trying to always figure out how to get ourselves in front of our audience and keep talking about our upcoming album without saying the same thing. So I think that's yeah. a great idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's definitely true. There's only so many times you can be like, check out my Kickstarter. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, always looking for new angles in marketing. Mm-hmm. I think I did, I would take like a quote from the interview of something like, I think I asked them like kind of a, 
controversial, controversial question. I don't remember what I asked exactly, but I would use that, that answer a lot. Like something like, Oh, like, what do you think is the problem with like women in music or something like that? Mm. That wasn't the question, but something like that, that, you know, people could answer it in many different ways. And I had a lot of interesting responses. Um, mm. So I kind of use those as like bait for people to I like it. be intrigued by. <laughs> yeah. Especially something like that, where there are opinions or people are, you know, really have strong feelings about them and mm-hmm. support women in music and stuff. And speaking of supporting women in music, um, you've got a platform called Brass Chicks. Can you tell us how that came to be, why that came to be, and what you're doing there? Yeah. Um, well, my colleague, Becca, who is a junior uh, at the University of Michigan, she actually started it several years ago, um, but she had just been posting like sporadically over the years and wasn't on a regular basis. And then she contacted me a couple months before my album came out and was wondering if I could do like an interview for the blog. And then I was looking at it and I had been sort of, I guess kind of like wanting something more to be doing. Like I really just wanted to make more of an impact than, than my album was making and just like a different kind of thing. Like I really like teaching. So it's like, Oh, what can I do that's sort of combining these things? And then when she showed me the blog, I was like, Oh, this is, this is the thing. <laughs> this is amazing. Um, and so we started in, I guess in July, last July, we started posting regularly and like having everything with a plan, um, doing these interviews every month. And so yeah, I just, I was like super attracted to the idea and I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. Um, so of course, for those that have no idea what I'm talking about, Brass Chicks is a blog where we interview prominent female brass players. And we also do like mini interviews with other people who are like younger people, not like the biggest of the biggest um, in the women's brass world. And then we have a weekly Five Things Friday series where anyone, especially young people, we have a lot of students writing these, which is so great. Um, they just write five things about anything. So I wrote the one for today and it was five people to contact to get more gigs. So <laughs> super helpful. <laughs> um, but there, and then last week was someone wrote about like five things that she learned after having a baby. Mm. Um, and how that relates to playing. And so they're all like completely different topics, which is so nice. And then people can write them like variety of experience levels. So like they're just totally appealing to everyone, uh, which is really cool. And yeah, so that's in terms of like what we want to do. We're trying to have every month has a theme with the interviews. So we're trying to sort of stick with our themes and interview more and more people, maybe do like another series. Um, Becca is starting a longer series on mothers and prominent brass players who are also mothers and who have families and all of the challenges and benefits of that. And yeah, we're just trying to keep it going. We started our Instagram a couple months after we started posting more on the blog. So continuing to build, you know, the platforms and the audiences on all of, you know, Facebook and Instagram is definitely a goal also. Very cool. I'll have to go check you out on Instagram. What's the, the handle? We are Brass Chicks Blog Brass on Brass Instagram Chicks. and I think Facebook as well. It's nice when you can get those same handles for sure. Yeah. Facebook, we're just Brass Chicks. Okay. Our plans for world domination involve being a little bit more than just a blog too. Um, we try and like share some you know video clips of people and stuff like that. So very um, cool. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's just such a great resource for women in brass, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as with my, you know, when I started the women of substance radio and podcast back in 2007, like there wasn't that much out there. There was a few other platforms like that just for women. And Mm -hmm. it's really caught on as a place, you know, for women to get exposure. So that's Mm -hmm. what I think you guys are doing there. I think that's great. 
Thank you. Yeah, and the really nice thing that we've gotten a lot of messages from young people who are like, oh, this like was amazing. One of the articles I wrote a couple weeks ago um, really struck a nerve with a lot of people. A lot of people were messaging us, like thanking us for what we're doing. It's just like really nice. And then the best part is also that people who aren't brass players are reading it. And like a lot of composers are responding because female composers are also sort of a, you know, a minority group in the mm -hmm. music world, of course. So Unfortunately, they're, you know, seeing the benefits of the blog as well. That's awesome. Well, can you tell me um, overall, like, what do your streams of income look like as a musician? You know, what do you think, like, percentage-wise you get from gigs and, and teaching and mm -hmm. you know, music sales and all that stuff? For sure. I think it's about, like, 50-50 in terms of performing and teaching right now. Um, I... I'm in the middle of, you know, my taxes and all of that, like deductions. That's always year, fun. Yes. Fun stuff. <laughs> so, you know, check back in. I'll probably have an answer for you <laughs> later. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I try and do a lot of teaching. I really like it. And for me, it's a really great way because then I'm not bogged down with like too many performances that aren't necessarily tied to my goals or I'm not like running around the city like a crazy person, like juggling so many gigs. So teaching is really great because you can sort of make your own schedule. Yeah, those are my... my so I'm streams. assuming your goal is more to promote your own music and perform your own you know, music from your album versus getting a bunch of orchestral gigs or theater gigs. It's hard. I mean, I'm trying to do both. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just so crazy. When I was making my album, I'm like looking around at other freelancers and everyone, it seems a lot of people are picking one of those paths and not doing both. And so for me, I'm like, oh man, like, <laughs> how am I going to do this? But um, I just, yeah, I love freelancing. I love playing in orchestra. I love, you know, Broadway and chamber music and doing all these gigs for like completely weird, random situations. Um, so I would never want to just be a soloist. And actually, I honestly never even really wanted to be a soloist. I just wanted to make my album. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, I have to perform it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, crazy how that works. Yeah. So those are, I kind of want to do both. I'm trying to do both. Well, there's no reason you can't in the new music industry, like the, mm -hmm. you know, it's wide open for you. So I will definitely check back and see, you know, in a year or so, like, you know, what, what you're doing and how that's going. Um, so let our listeners know how they can find you, how they can find Brass Chicks and how they can find you and connect with you online on social media and websites. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, I'm on Instagram at Kate Trumpet and my Facebook page, uh, my fan page is facebook.com slash Kate Amrine. And Let's see, Brass Chicks. We are brasschicks.com. We are also brasschicksblog.com. And Brass Chicks is on Instagram at brasschicksblog and Facebook at facebook.com slash brasschicks. And yeah. And also my website is kateamarin.com. I have a little contact form there. Um, so anyone can reach out to me via any of those platforms as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for all this insight. And I love having, you know, younger people. I love getting the whole gamut of ages and styles and, you know, um, instrumentation and all that stuff on here. So thank you for, you know, representing young people, young women in brass on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. 
with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.